0: God's amazing plan to change the world is to do so through people devoted to him. For some weeks now, we've been looking at some of the fundamentals of that. A simple description out of the second chapter of the book of Acts helps us see the basics of that plan. First of all, getting into a right relationship with God. God starts with us restoring our relationship with him but that's just the beginning of course then we must grow in that relationship and this passage shows us the elements of that first of all prayer that genuine conversation that we can have with god then the apostles teaching and our relationship with other people in community and then meeting the needs of each other both physically and spiritually as we looked at Last week, God's plan is about people. It's about people that He cares for and that He then uses in what He's doing. Now, speaking of last week, Scott Millard showed us some of the dynamics of this as the plan unfolds. Some of the complexities come out, and we can see conflicts, problems, even racism. Wow, how did that happen? when this is God's amazing plan. I mean, those things aren't supposed to happen when God's working, are they? Well, Scott actually did give us the answer, which is really pretty obvious. People are still people, right? And I'd like us to pick up on that today. I mean, that's real, right? If God is about people and that's, us, just people, and we know ourselves, don't we, then how is this going to work out? Uh, Picture's about to come up on the screen there. I came around a corner and saw this Actually, I saw something like this because if I had pulled my phone out and taken a picture, I would have ended up doing the same thing as this guy, okay? So I just went and found a picture. It was very similar. Nobody was hurt. You could see everybody's there. It's just, it shows what we're humanly capable of, right? This is the gene pool that God is working with. I mean, it's great that God wants to use us, but... And we could go a lot, of play, a lot of places with this, but there are a lot of ways to do this wrong, wouldn't you say? When you're talking about people, you're talking about imperfect, normal people. It's one thing for there to be a plan. It's another to join him in it. It's one thing to be devoted to a plan. It's another to really live it out. Can the Bible help us with this too? Let's turn to some examples of how people effectively lived out God's plan. And I want us to see in these weeks how God's plan can be lived out in the everyday lives of normal people. Let's start with normal people just like us. God has a plan. Jesus gave us an example, but he was perfect, so we tend to kind of dismiss that like, well, yeah, but... And then the apostles and everybody, they were like superheroes. Are there any normal people out there just like us really living this out? I also think this is a good place to start because I see a place in time when God wanted to make this very point. And he wanted to do so with one that we might really consider a a superhero. A superhero who wanted to do something different than what God had in mind. Besides Jesus, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is the largest figure that we find. He did so much, he wrote half of the letters and books that are in the New Testament. He's the most recorded, the most followed of all the apostles, even though really he only came along later. He had to be miraculously confronted by Jesus from heaven after he had gone there. And through a bright light, he blinds him, and he goes through this dramatic conversion experience, and God transforms him from a persecutor and a blasphemer to a remarkable follower and influencer of the movement, and his fingerprints his marks are still on that movement to this very day now all of that being said this hero was led to see something that we get to see ourselves this morning something Jesus had told some very normal disciples some very normal people like us he said it in a lot of ways but these are a few of the things that he said you will be my disciples You'll be my witnesses in the whole world. I will make you fishers of men. He even said in John 14, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, whoever, even the normal people, just us, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I have this in mind for you. Let's see and celebrate how much we normal people, first of all, matter to God and what that means we can do as his rather normal instruments. So I'd like you to Look at the map that's about to appear up on the screen as I read some of these verses out of Acts 16 where I was reading before. Paul and his companions traveled to the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed down by Mysia and went to Troas during the night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him come over to Macedonia and help us after Paul had seen the vision we got ready at once for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to, to preach the gospel to them from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight straight for Samothrace and the next day we went on to Neapolis, and from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak with the women who had gathered there. One who was listening was a woman from Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, as you can see on the map, actually go back one more slide if you would. Paul wanted to go up this way, Asia, and up into Bithynia. But as you can see by the line, God had another plan, And he sent them over here, and then he ends up in this city of Philippi, a major city in the province. Paul often started in places like that strategically because he would find gatherings of people there who were seeking God in whatever way, many times synagogues, sometimes in other ways. Now, this is strategy, but I want you to see how much people matter in the passage that we just read. It was the spirit of Jesus, verse 7, that would not allow them to go to Bithynia. Very personalized, notice that. And then the vision that Paul had was of a literal man from Macedonia saying, come over. Very specific and personal. Then the verse after that says, they concluded that God had called us us to preach to them, literally. not, Not a place, but to people. And then when they get to Philippi, they find actual people who are open to God's message. Now, I want us to just pause a little bit right there. God has put people into your life. You work a job. You go to school. You live in a neighborhood. You live in a family. You have to interact with people wherever you are. Do you know that jobs and schools and homes and families and neighborhoods are vehicles for our interacting with the people that God means for us to encounter, to love, to care for, to share life with, and by God's grace, share all of eternity with. The maps that I show you show strategies They show Paul traveling these different places. Paul didn't travel these places to see the world. He traveled to share the message of God's love and that transforming power with people. How do you view the people around you that you encounter on a daily basis? So I'll pick on myself. I was at the DMV this week the world's happiest place. Now, maybe that's Disney World or something. Okay, so, granted, that's not the happiest place in the world for anyone, I realize. But it was a poignant reminder to me of how difficult, how impatient, how self-centered we can be in life when, and I know it's a bit of a microcosm, but when it's all boiled down to a task or a job. You're only there to accomplish what you need to accomplish, right? And the people that are there are just thrilled to help you. Now, why is that the case? Because I stood at seven fifteen waiting for the eight o'clock opening hour, because I've done this before, and I was already number eight or ten in line or something like that, and the line just got longer and longer the closer we got to opening time. And every face that walked up approaching that line of people was just thrilled to be there. And despite all of the instructions on please fill out your forms. Inevitably, when you get in there, somebody's up there with a blank form, and we blame the employees. I mean, these poor people. Now, I was struck with, when we boil life down to a task or a job, look at how we can act. Because, of course, it's all about my job or... My task, the focus was accomplishing or getting that thing done. But in the process, were a whole bunch of people that mattered to God. And how did I act and react in those circumstances with those people? How we see them, how we treat them, how we interact with them, how we seek to understand them according to the Bible really matters. Now look at how normal this living out God's plan can be. Your world is simply an access point into God's work. My life? You don't know how normal and dull my life is. Your life is is an access point into what God happens to be doing around you. Lydia, this woman, she has a business. That's pretty normal. She sought God. She didn't know him, but she wanted to know him. It says that she was looking for him. That's pretty normal too. And most everybody that you run into has an opinion or a view that they are trying to use to try and understand the world that they find themselves in. That's becoming increasingly confusing for all of us. But we're trying to understand. Our responsibility is simply engagement with those people where they are. How are people around you looking for God and for answers? Look for how they're searching. It would seem, verse 13, that Paul and the others were willing to engage in conversation and interact with these people. They were looking for them. Do we? Do we listen? Do we care? Do we let the conversations go there? I didn't mean to rhyme that. Just seeing if you're with me. You know, we've given you some simple ways to to have in mind these simple concepts of love and forgiveness and purpose and hope so that you can just chase after that when you see that that might be something someone's looking for and this very simple conversation that we can use that says, well, you know, this this God that I know, you have any idea what he would say to you if he walked up to you? I know the first thing he would tell you is that he loves you. I, do you have a God that loves you first I, I it's amazing what he is that's what he's done for me did you know that he's going to fix everything someday that we have hope did you know that he wants us to help him change the world that we have a purpose for living did you know that he took the first step to make things right we don't have to fix it he's the one that's come to us so simple if we're listening if we're looking if we're caring and if we make the most of the opportunity. Now, as much as I've just said that, I want you to see our responsibility is engagement, but God's responsibility is actually his work, is the work of conversion. Yes, Paul and Silas and the others were there, and they were willing, and they were prepared, but God was the one that opened the heart. That's literally what it says. Don't forget, we're joining him. That's what Donna was saying to you. If you want to see God at work and you want to join him well check out what happens in the lives of these little children that you get to join in on well that's just multiplied in a thousand different ways what's God doing that you can join him in yes be ready to share the message but let God do the work watch him open hearts when we will simply engage and begin to create more questions actually than answers Paul had an amazing story of conversion. He's walking down a road. He's zealous for God. He's actually a persecutor and a blasphemer against God, and Jesus has to appear in person in this bright light, blind him, drop him to his knees, and transform him from a blasphemer and a persecutor to a follower and an influencer that continues, his influence continues to this day in this movement. Lydia, she had an amazing story of conversion in all of its normalness. I mean, she knew there was a God and she was trying to please him in her own way. Was it enough? No, but she was trying. And that was a starting point that God rewarded. And then one day, she's just out at the river They might have been praying as a group of Jews. It's possible. There's all kinds of speculation here. She came from Thyatira. That's a colony that had a lot of Jews. And so maybe she was there with those because the way it worked was unless you had 10 male Jewish men, you couldn't have a synagogue. And if you didn't have that, then you would go to a body of water river, lake, ocean, something, and and there you would have places of prayer. It could be possible that they were God-fearers in that way. But you know what? All of that stuff really doesn't matter. They're just factors around God's working in her life until Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke show up and engage. And then eventually, God uses her too to reach her family, to end up hosting these Uh, servants of God when they needed a place to say by the end of the passage there's a whole group of believers meeting in her house this could be you why not well let me come back to that let's get to the next normal person the jailer Now the background here is after they did this and they're going back and forth each day, these servants of God, to this place of prayer. There's this demon-possessed girl who keeps running behind them and screaming to everybody, these are uh, prophets of God that are telling you how to be saved. And really this kind of... uh, unsolicited advi- advertisement wasn't really something they were looking for. This happened to Jesus, actually, uh, in another place in Luke chapter 4. He's going to, he, go, he goes into a synagogue, and there was a man possessed by a demon, and he cries out at the top of his voice, go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebukes him, be quiet, and come out of him. And the demon throws the man down, and And leaves him. And though the man was free, Jesus was not pleased with this particular activity. He didn't need it. And that's not what Paul and Silas needed either. But they got fed up with all of this. So they cast out the demon. But then the problem gets larger. Because the people who owned this little girl as a slave used to make money on her prophecies that she made. And when they realize they lost that, they stir up the people against Paul and Silas. They start a riot, and Paul and Silas get arrested and flogged and put into prison in that passage that I read a little earlier. Now, faithfulness, right where you are, is one of the things I want us to see today in the normalness of these very personal examples. Our faithfulness in what we know Paul and Silas just stayed faithful to praying and sharing and engaging with people. This place where they met Lydia either became a place of prayer or it already was one, and they just kept going there. But apparently God had a purpose through this other disruption to reach another family, enter the prison guard. Now, these were often retired military who could be trusted to follow orders, And he would have known the punishment if he lost any of his prisoners. It came out of a code of Justinian. The same fate awaited the prison guard that would be uh, executed on those prisoners who escaped death. So, not a particularly prestigious job. He risked his life, lose a prisoner, lose your life. This was a normal guy. So what happens? God does this miracle the chains fall off and the gates fly open. God's at work in ways we may not understand. See, we have to be faithful in what we know, but God is at work in ways we may not understand. This guy's about to kill himself and Paul cries out, no, 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 don't don't do it. We're all here. And then the jailer asks, what do I need to do to be saved? Now, what did he mean by that? What do I need to do to be forgiven of my sins and enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so I can be in heaven the rest of eternity? I'm not sure that's what he meant. I think he might have meant, okay, now how do I not get killed? That doesn't matter. Paul gave him the ultimate answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And eventually, God ended up using this jailer too. To reach his entire family and to minister to God's servants as he washes their wounds and sets a meal before them. And then you just need to see what happens if we fast forward. The church is formed in Philippi out of all of these normal people, and it actually becomes one of the best churches in those times. Some years later, when Paul finds himself in prison again, this time he's in Rome, and again he's in chains. And he writes a letter to these very people. And listen to the things that he says about these people. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers uh, for you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership with me in the gospel. He considered them partners. God's begun a good work in you and he's gonna carry it out to completion. It's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you on my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. These are partners with Paul, the superhero. He considers them that. They're just normal people. But they're partners. Well, why? Because he goes on to say, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision in the spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened will turn out for my deliverance. These people are praying for him. That's partnership. That's God using normal people to accomplish remarkable things. He goes on to say, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to do so for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. These people were being obedient and they were being used by God for his purposes. I mean, one of the things they did, they sent him a guy named Epaphroditus. They found out he was hurt and they sent this guy to help him who is also your messenger. He says, whom you sent to take care of my needs. These people sent him help. And then... He says, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, right back there, early part of the story, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, that's the next city that he goes to, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. These people gave financially. And who were these people? They were just normal people like us Jesus said he would build his church and what he would use is people just like us and that means that he directs where and who and how we are a part of that process sometimes that happens in really remarkable and unexpected ways certainly means that he makes use of normal people like you and me and sometimes in very normal ways, he makes the most of who we are and what our gifting is and the opportunities that he just walks into our lives. Do you see your world as an access point into God's work? Oh, no, I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just a mom. I'm a I'm overwhelmed with what it takes to raise these kids and to care for my house and my husband and my family and still work a job and try and make it through this day. I, I, is that you? What kind of influence must Lydia have had if her family was open to spiritual things the way she was and the whole family came to Christ? What kind of influence must she have had just because she was faithful right where she was? What kind of influence has she had, I mean, she must have had when she has a home that she can just immediately invite people to and say, if you consider me anything, you know, believer, I'd love to host you. By the end of the passage, she's hosting a whole group of believers because when they get out of prison, that's what they do. They, they go to her house where all the believers were gathered she didn 't know how God was going to use that, but because she was faithful with, with what she did know, look at how God used it later oh no i 'm just a i 'm just a retired veteran I mean you know what, what what is that you? What kind of meaningful relationship must this jailer have had? With his family in order for them to be open to this gospel and accept it as well. What kind of faithful work had he done all along, so that he didn't end up losing either his job or his life when these prisoners, you know, could have escaped and they didn't, and he washes and meets their needs. I mean, I can't imagine the Romans being, you know, thinking that was a great idea that he was helping them out, but because he was faithful, he didn't, apparently. And We haven't even considered some of the others in the background. You probably wouldn't have noticed this, but as Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is recording this, every once in a while, the pronouns change. You know, he talks about Paul going to this place and that place, so on and so forth. And every once in a while, it's we and us. And in this passage, it's we and us. And then when it goes to the next one, he doesn't. He's not there. When they moved to the next city of Thessalonica, it's back to. So it's interesting that he finds himself in the situation. He was one of the ones that was engaged in this situation. I had a college professor that believed that Luke married Lydia because he came and then he stayed, and they all went on hopeless romantic. You know, no proof. I don't know. I just he just had that theory that that was the case. I read something this week that some people thought that the Apostle Paul married Lydia. But whatever. The point is Luke is there. Now look at Luke. Luke is a different kind of guy. He's a doctor. He's a physician and he's very a careful historian and he's very carefully recording all that's happened. Where would we be if we didn't have detailed people? You know, you're looking, some of you are looking at me going, I'm not a people person. I am a detailed person. Where would we be if it weren't for people with those kind of gifts and abilities administering the way that they should or recording the way that they should? We wouldn't have this if it weren't for Luke being used in his normalness for God's purposes. At the beginning of the chapter, Paul picked up a guy named Timothy. He was this young disciple that was gonna, he was going to mentor and grow up into. Is that you? No, no ministry experience, but a good heart and a, a good reputation and a good family. And are you willing? You're young, but you're willing. You'd make yourself available to serve as best you can and learn as you go? It takes all of us. Timothy went on to receive a couple of letters from Paul and pastor some significant churches, all because in the normalness of who he was, he was willing to do what God asked him to do. Whoever and wherever you are, how well do you do what you do? Does it matter that you have a job and a home and you go to this school? And do those those things matter in the eyes of God? Yes, they're access points into the very thing that he wants to accomplish through you. Commit to be the best you can be right where you are. God means for you to live and work and study and interact in a context of people in those places. Do your very best at what he's given you to do. You know, in a world that we continue to say is increasingly divided and polarized and cruel and angry and discouraged, what an opportunity we have to make life about other things, to set an example that shows that we're not divided or polarized or afraid, but that we have... Someone else that helps us live above those circumstances. What if we, by our examples, thanked more instead of joining the chorus of complainers? The whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. Actually, it is. But not everybody has to go. Can we say that? Can we do that? What if you affirmed more instead of so easily criticizing? Okay, I didn't do this this week, but what if you gave up your place in line for somebody else at the DMV? Or you saw another student in your class that needed help and you did something about that or you you sat with someone that no one else likes to spend time with kind of normal things that we can encounter regularly? What if in our responsibilities, we went above and beyond? We didn't just stop with where others stop or just good enough, but we excelled. And so in all of these remarkable ways, those kinds of efforts give you a chance to talk about what really matters most in life as you stand out in a world that's really hurting. And you show an example that causes people to say, What is it about you? Oh, really, it's it's not about me. It's about this amazing God who walked up to me and told me that he loved me. You'll get some conversation after a comment like that. Trust me. It doesn't have to be hard. It just needs to be intentional. Intentional. God's plan is about people that he cares for and that he uses in what he's doing. Jesus told some very normal people, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be fishers of men. You will do even greater things than I have done. And these are just normal people. And we can celebrate How much we normal people matter to God and what He wants to then do through us in the normalness of where we are. Be faithful right where you are. Doesn't have to be hard, it just needs to be intentional. And maybe there are some things that you should step up and do things that the Bible says are just normal for normal Christians to do. We tell them to you every week when we have our announcements and our family time. Donna talked to you about one of them. It's just a normal thing for people to, when they come to a church and engage in a ministry, that they serve and they offer themselves with their gifts and abilities. We make it so easy. You can just walk in and benefit as much as you would give in our children's ministry. In two weeks from today, we're going to have a group of people, very needy people, temporarily homeless, guaranteed at 93-plus percent. These people will not be homeless in a short period of time from now. And three years beyond that, they'll still be housed because of this organization called Family Promise. And we partner with them every year. And they're going to be here for uh, two weeks, starting in two weeks, 14th of August through the 28th and the normal thing to do is to find a place where you can serve and it's just not hard trust me we can help you see that it's just it's just being a good host for some people who we allow to make this their home for a couple of weeks and we've got a whole facility that's just set up for them and it's great and they, it's one of our favorite their favorite places to come and so they're so grateful to be here and you get a chance to just help somebody and offer some hope in a life for them that's really looking kind of hopeless right now. That's what normal people do when they walk a normal life in Jesus Christ. And the bulletin's full of all kinds of things and if you get the Bethlehem Weekly, there's other things. There's places to serve. There's places to engage. There's ways that God wants us in the normalness of our everyday life to let him walk us into what he's doing. Finally, speaking of service, if you're a new person or a newer person with us, we'd like to serve you this morning. So at the end of this service, we're inviting you to join us in the gymnasium for 20 minutes, a half an hour. You get to meet the staff. You get to interact with us on uh, on what we are and what we do. We'll talk to you a little bit about that and then some questions and answers and and, a f- and you can find a way to connect. And so if you're newer or brand new, you're welcome to come to this little time of interaction with us. If you're not new, don't talk to me after the service. I'm gonna be the first one there standing there awkwardly with my hands in my pockets wanting to talk to somebody. So if you are newer, come and take away my embarrassment and have a conversation with me and a few other staff and you'll find out more about our church because we're just normal people that God wants to use in all of our normalness to accomplish his remarkable plan. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the very... Remarkable recording of these events that you accomplished through Luke because he dedicated his gifts to you, that you accomplished through Paul and Silas and Timothy, and then used Lydia and the jailer and many others thousands of years ago now to put a presence in that city of believers that love you and follow you and right where they are, accomplish all that you want to through them. You've been doing this for millennia. We're thankful that you continue to do it today. Would you do it in us? Show us, open our eyes and open the doors as you through our lives engage us in what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.